Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Welcome everyone to another awesome episode of Run This World. You are going to hear today from a woman named Rachel Kadanis. It's a, she's such an interesting woman who is helping so many people in the world. She's what you would call a grief expert. And as you would imagine, most people don't become grief experts unless they go through some form of grief themselves. So you are going to hear about her story today, um, something that happened to her decades ago that forced her to really embrace this issue. Um, Rachel has written a book called Living with Loss, One Day at a Time. You can find it actually on Amazon. It's got 365 tips for how to live with and move forward when you're dealing with grief and loss in your life. And one of the messages that I love and I think is really relevant right now is that she says we don't have control over what happens to us sometimes, but we do have control over how we react to it. So on that note, I'm going to go ahead and bring Rachel onto the show. And when you are in a place in your life where you need to hear these words and loss can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, I encourage you to come back to this episode and listen again, because I think it can be both very comforting and inspiring to know that you can get through these very difficult times and you are never alone in this world. All right, everyone. I'm very excited to be sitting here with my new friend, Rachel Kadanas. Thank you for coming over today. I'm excited to be here with you. I know. It's so cool. I just invite people into my home off the street. Come on, let's do a podcast. That's great. It's well, great. Actually, you aren't off the street. We, we met recently at an event where there was an immediate synergy. And part of that was um, I was there to do a speech and you are a professional speaker and you've been on the tour for a while. Although we're going to get into this later, that was not your intended career path Correct. back in the day, yeah, right? But one of the clear connections was the sport of triathlon. And, uh, you know, I knew after speaking with you that this would be a really interesting and maybe heavy, but important conversation to have. And what I want to do is instead of babbling on too much, I just want you to kind of get right into it. You're an expert on grief and loss you know, people don't usually become experts on topics like that unless they have a personal connection. Correct. And I consider myself an expert on the real side of it, not necessarily the clinical side, because I don't have a clinical background. So first of all, it's great meeting you. Your presentation was wonderful. I connected to you. You connected to the audience. You gave them so many takeaways. And as a fellow speaker, I thought you did a great job. Yay! And I'm here today probably because you did such a great job. <laughs> but my background is really information technology, telecommunication, Fortune 100 companies, a computer geek, wanted to break the glass ceiling all those years ago. 
But I had the unfortunate situation that when I was 31, my husband was 32. Uh, he died suddenly. He had a, a arrhythmia, just a electronic malfunction. He was a big athlete like you, not quite like you, but a big athlete. And just it was we ran eight miles that day at lunch and then he never came home that night. And while you started off by saying that it's a sad story, it's been so many years that to me now it's not worth somebody's life. It's more of an upbeat story because I give an opportunity to share with you, your listeners, that really what you can do with a loss and how you can grow from it, but so much how you could stay connected to your loved one. And what I chose to do is how we connected on the whole Ironman is that that was on his bucket list to do. Before there were such things as a bucket list, that was his bucket list that he wanted to do. And I wanted to do something to stay connected to him and something that was unique. And at the time when I chose the Hawaiian Ironman to do it, I didn't think naive young, <laughs> all of the above. Well, that's what you need sometimes in order to tackle big things. You don't, you need to be naive, not know what you're getting into. And I think if I knew what I was getting into, I may not have done it. And so then we may not have been here today. So isn't it a beautiful thing? So what happened really was I decided that I was going to do the Hawaiian Ironman, but I didn't think at the time that it, you know, only 25 or 1500 people, I can't remember how many could do it. And only 250 of them were women and you had to qualify. And so it took me two and a half years to get from the day I said I was going to do it to the finish line because it took me that time to qualify, you know, train, taper, race, recover, train, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Well, so let's talk about this a little bit. So how old were you? At the time, 35. And what when year? he died, he I was 32. It took me, like I said, three years. Okay. So it. was this in the 90s? Yes. Yeah. I did it actually in 1995. Okay. And... um so the sport was already, you know, big enough to have awareness, but it was still, we, I was actually there in 1995. Wow. Yeah. Two-year-old? No. <laughs> well, Tim was, uh, Tim had competed there as his, in his first year as a pro and had been 10th. Wow. And Mark Allen won that year. So that's a really like cool connection. It is huh? a cool connection. Another looking, cool connection. We're looking at all the paraphernalia over here from Iron Man. Jeez, sitting in the little Just office. being in this house should give you energy. <laughs> but, you know, I think one of the big things is you mentioned it, and I don't want to dwell on it, but you're a young mom. You're a fairly newly married person in a few years, right? And your husband dies suddenly. And there you are left with a two-year-old and you've got to face the next day and all that. And, and in your world, you grabbed on and grasped on to doing something from his bucket list, as you said. It took me a while. That didn't happen overnight. Okay. It took me a while because I had to work and, you know, you had to juggle and you had to figure out your life and you had to figure out how to fall asleep and wake up and keep the food down and just all of that. And what really got me going on it was that I couldn't sleep. So if I couldn't sleep, I might as well beat my body. And then that really helped with eating and, you know, everything else. So it all started its recovery. It, well, I don't know if you really ever recovered to find the new normal for me. Right. So how, how do you get through those first few days when you suffer major loss? Well, the first few days are easy because you don't even know what's going on. You, you, I mean, you, you don't, don't even, even remember. Know, you don't remember. You just, you're in a fog. I mean, I barely remember. I remember some of the you know, things that happen at the funeral and stuff, but you really don't, re I mean, it's 
right here in my head about what happened all these years, 24 years later, what happened at the hospital. But those days of who I talked to and what I did and, you know, all that are blurry. And it took probably, I would say probably a year, um, I was running, which totally helped. And baby joggers, I was like one of the first mm-hmm. person to have a baby jogger. Mm-hmm. Um, so when those first came out, and I just think is as time went on, you just, you kind of start getting out of the cloud. And it's just so horrendous to be that sad, that young, so sad and not have any peers, you know, it's pre-internet. So to be, I had to get out. I had to get out of that just dark place that I was in and athletics did it for me. Endorphins is a beautiful thing. They are. I know. And and there's this physical effect that grief has on your body. And what did it do to you? So, and for me, I think it exhausted me and, it, it, and I didn't sleep. But I think with that working out all the time, I figured out, you know, I had a treadmill in my house and with the baby monitor and the baby jogger to push and just being able to get out and do that, I think it brought back to me a little bit more stability of Rachel, not of the situation, right. not that I'm a newly widow or a single mom. It just Rachel, like you started to find yourself a little bit again. I mean, we all have ups and downs in life. We all do. It does, you know, whether it's a parent's being divorced, whether it's a permanent injury, whether it's coming off being a pro athlete. I mean, we all have mm-hmm. ups and downs in life that we have two choices with them, work through them or ignore them. And ignoring doesn't work. That's true because you go nowhere. You go nowhere and it just creeps up on you and it just follows you around. And it's, I call it like behind my ear, just talking at me. I think people uh, listening can relate, even if they haven't lost someone, they've, they've lost things, they've lost themselves, whatever. And you mentioned the word exhaustion. So you're totally exhausted And then we talk about exercise as a way of getting you out of exhaustion. But how does that work? Because that kind of, it's almost like an oxymoron, right? Being an exhausted athlete, like you think that if you're exhausted, you wouldn't even be able to put one foot in front of the other. So how are you able to actually function? Because there's, I think, a difference between an exhausted athlete and an exhausted emotional person. Mm -hmm. Exhausted emotional, emotional person is motivation, not true exhaustion. Because we all know, and and, and anybody, no matter what situation you're in, good or bad, that three, four o'clock in the afternoon is the magic ticket for somebody to get a little bit tired. But we all know if we get up, we walk around, we do something, you get that energy. You don't necessarily need the coffee caffeine. So I think that was the difference between what I was going through. I was so emotionally exhausted, but I wasn't necessarily physically exhausted. So once I figured Mm. out that those two pieces were different, you get a little bit motivation. And you know, once you get past a half a mile, even if you're walking, once you get past that, once you get your shoes on and get out the door, you already feel better. That's true. And you can say, I don't really feel like running today. I'll just start walking. But then you just come down and you just find your cadence and True. you could just make it happen. And yeah, and a walk may turn into a run. It may not, but who cares? At least you're out moving, but often it does turn into a run and suddenly you find yourself running and then you're not thinking and you're the spiral of negative energy stops. It just kind of just goes out a little bit. Not mm-hmm. saying it's not going to find its way back in, but you get a little break from it. You get a little more energy and you feel a little bit better. Do you think exercise is medicine? Oh my gosh. Endorphins is proven, but, yeah. but I still think it is. I think just anytime you get, it doesn't even have to be outside. I prefer outside than a gym, but I just think anytime you have movement, anytime that blood has the opportunity to move around, I think it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yep. So here you are then. You get yourself going. You decide after you kind of come out of the fog, I'm going to do the Hawaii Ironman. Like stupid. 
Yeah, which I still love, and I still think there is no other way you could have done it. Right, I agree. And it took you two and a half years. What kept you going during that time? I had this goal of hitting it, and all the people that I've worked with since this was my goal, I tell them don't ever do anything that big. And for all your listeners, make something a little bit smaller. The fear is if I hadn't crossed the finish line, where would I be emotionally? But to know me and to know who I am, there was no way that I wasn't going to get across that finish line, even if I had a crawl, just like the how. We all got to this Mm -hmm. sport because of Julie Moss, but I was going to get across that finish line no matter what. Um, The training was hard. Um, I still think to this day that training is harder than the actual event. I don't know if you agree with that. Just getting out there every day. You know, the actual event, you get energy that comes from somewhere. But it was, how did I keep it going? I just think I had him right, you know, in my heart and in my brain and I needed to do it for him because I had the opportunity to run and he didn't. There are is there are quite a few people out there who do races, running events, <clears throat> triathlons, whatever for a cause. Correct. So how, tell me more about that. Why is this? And you can relate to it personally now. I can relate to it personally. I've not, I mean, of course I do events that are, you know, they're usually some charity that's associated with them. Most of them have mm-hmm. some kind of um, mm-hmm. medical or something that's a, you know, whether it's a food bank, something associated with it. I've never really done anything as a team to do that because I'm fortunate enough that I could still qualify for events. So I don't do that, that type of a team. What kept me going and why, the emotional piece and why they get to keep going. When there's a tie to something of your loved one, your emotions will take over far. And and we talked about this when we first met was that your emotional pain far outweighs any physical pain. I'll say it again, but the emotional pain far outweighs the physical pain, no matter what it is, no matter what in life it is. And so if you could just get out there and this is what I did was, okay, I have a physical pain, but I get to be doing this or I have this or I have that. It didn't matter because my pain in my right leg or my hip right hip was nothing to the fact that he doesn't get to see his own child grow up. Oh, it's true. And as a young mom, it must be, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to listen to this because reality is sitting right here across from the mic from you. I know. I know because that's true. I can only, uh, these kind of interviews and these moments really affect me because I, you always wonder what if. Oh my gosh. It's I'm, in the back of your mind, no matter what. Well, you know, in an office when, cause I come from corporate America, as I shared that when some two people get pregnant, you think it's in the water. And I do believe that people feel that when you have hardship around you, that if you're close to it, that it's going to happen to you too, whatever mm-hmm. it is, whether it's illness, whether, and you know, you can't catch a cancer that way, but there's still people believe the closer you get to something that is challenging like that, it could happen mm-hmm. to me. But what's funny is you just called pregnancy the big challenge. It's <laughs> <laughs> a hardship. <laughs> well, it's true. It's not, but yeah, yeah I'm just saying it's it of is. Yeah. It's a yeah. change of life. Yeah, right? it is. So how do you parent during this really hard time in your life? And you're now focused on some training, which is also taking a bunch of time, but you still had to work and you had to deal with grief. So I would really like to share this a different way because I can't really remember those days, but this one might even make you cry. So um, several years ago, when my daughter was in college, she came home one winter and said how poor she was. So I said to her, okay, I have a job for you. Go downstairs and find all those videos that we have. I need to digitize them, right? So go find them all, the pictures, scan them, get everything digital for me, and I'll pay you. 
So she came upstairs, so she's down, the, down there watching movies or whatever she's doing, doing all these pictures and movies, and she comes upstairs with her computer and she's crying. And so she, she's at this point maybe 20 years old. She comes up crying and she says to me, Mom, you were really patient. I said, no, 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 there was no patience in me. I didn't have any patience. She said, Mom, you were really patient. I've been watching the videos of the from right before Daddy Rod died until I was five or six years old. And in every single, you look terrible, you look sad, you look like you don't want to be there, but you were so patient with me. So when you asked me how I parented, I would have told you before she came up and saw, told me about that, I would have said I had no patience that I relied on other people, that I left her. But when I look at this, she was never not in my baby jogger. She was never not on the back of my bicycle. We even have, because NBC followed us, we even have footage where I put her little training wheels up on blocks so she could pretend that she was on a bike trainer with me. Oh. So I, but I, if you had asked me that before I saw the videos, I would have told you that you were a liar, that we didn't do that because I was so numb. But it's great memories and it's great bonding. Oh, it's just amazing. So if we go back and look at that 1995 Iron Man, we're going to see footage of you as a special interest story. No, they pulled it at the end, but thank you. Because oh. I was with, I know they, I was, they did the whole filming of it, but they changed it the day of. Oh, but you know how that works. I do know you how it works. works. Well, they, what's funny in our world is they would get footage of all the people who could potentially win the race in case they win the race. But if they don't win the race, you're never going to see any of that, that footage. footage yeah. No, they, they followed us around for a long time. So yeah. I they're, they're preparing something. Oh, man. So, okay, because that's huge. And I mean, I know people listening, going through different loss in their life. It could be divorce or, or, you know, career change or whatever. They're still trying to figure out how do I not feel guilty um, with my parenting during this time? Because what you kind of just said to me was, Looking back, I would have said this, which are all things that might make you sort of feel bad or guilty, right? right? But then knowing from your child's perspective that it was all okay. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? It's amazing. But this is where when people say, and I and I just did a webinar yesterday, when people say, when are they going to get over this? There's nothing to get over. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime of learning, connecting, and growth. And for me, it's not worth the life, as I said earlier, but it's definitely, I don't think I'd be who I was if I didn't have this experience that I had. I mean, surely wouldn't be sitting here with you because I don't know if I would have ever done the Iron Man to meet you, to see you speaking mm-hmm. one day, you know? So very true. It's very true, isn't it? So tell me about the actual event. What happened in Hawaii? Well, I think I approached Hawaii a little bit before little bit differently than anybody. And for that reason, that reason only I would ever, ever consider to go back. Cause I don't really remember the athleticism side of it. All I cared about was crossing the finish line. So while everybody was hurting and, you know, just trying to get through it, I was, there was no way that I wasn't going to finish that run. So there was no way that I was going to kill myself on the bike. So I just did it totally, I think, I'm sure there's other people down there that do it similarly, but I didn't race it like I had a race to qualify. Mm -hmm. So I just enjoyed every minute. I talked to everybody. I just looked for my name on the Queen K and the rocks. I mean, I just, I guess it would be lava, not rocks. I just enjoyed, I just thought of Rod. I just, you know, reminisced. I just thought about him and did this for him. And then I crossed the finish line and it was I didn't know what would happen, to be honest with you. I didn't know if it would be um, a setback, meaning that, you know, you get so excited about doing something and then the letdown, but there was none. 
still to this day, I mean, I'm sure I'm let down that my legs aren't as strong as they were, but it wasn't an emotional letdown. It was a connection. I I would fear for that too. Definitely. I mean, it's, you're building for years for this thing. It's a singular focus. Right. And is it with the idea that you're honoring someone or, or is it this like weird convoluted idea that now you can let go or how does that work? I think it was the ultimate of a couple, you know, that we did it together. Mm. It was an ultimate of a couple that it was his, it was mine and it was ours. Yep. And he, oh, I never even thought of it that way. No, Thank you. Nicole. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, we're going to write that down. Okay. No, wait, it's on a podcast. Okay. We can just listen to it. Um, I wonder if he ever would have thought that you would do an Ironman. Uh, I think so because I was doing because I was a runner and I think I would share this. I was running with him and I was running well and he was trying to get. We did some of the smaller triathlons and he always said, "Why don't you just stop your IT job and really put some energy into this?" And I was too. It just wasn't. I didn't. I, it's not that I didn't have the head. I think I didn't know if it was where I wanted to be and what do you do. At, I just had some doubts. And so I never did that. And then, of course, after he died, I was trying to, you know, run for the trials and I had terrible IT issue. And that's when I got on my bike for recovery. And then he had pushed me. That's how it all came about. Yeah. So he, so, so we're together. He wouldn't have been surprised. No, no. Well, and if whoever's listening and what we're thinking is everybody says we're all connected. So if he knows, he probably does know. Yeah. Who knows? That's true. So uh, then how, so do you, this is kind of a weird question, but can losing someone, can anything positive be, come out of that? Well, I don't really have it to compare it to what it could have been before. So it's, it's only what I, you know, you have to spin the story that works for you. And in this case, the story that works for me is I don't know if I would have had such a great relationship with my daughter. I don't know. I'll never know. Right. But I, I contribute the relationship that I have and I'm remarried and my husband who adopted Gretchen always says they forgot to cut your umbilical cord. Okay. So that to me, is that a gift of Rod's loss or would that have happened anyway? I don't know. Maybe we bonded in a way in those years that we were alone together in such pain. I don't know. So has it, how does it change my life and my behavior? I'm going to assume I wouldn't be here right here with, well, I might be here with you right now, but I doubt it because I wasn't grief and loss. I was IT telecommunications and I would have gone that route instead of doing podcasts and writing books and lecturing and presenting Mm -hmm. all over the place. But that's where I am today because of the loss. So did something positive come out of it? I guess so. I mean, you're helping people in a different way. For sure. For sure. And in a very powerful way. I love it. People say to me, how do you do it? Oh, to see the smiles and to see the, just the people having the opportunity to know that there's hope and there's life after loss, whatever loss, whether it's a financial loss or divorce. Uh, you know, we live mm-hmm. in Colorado. We've had floods. People have lost their house, you know, it fires, you know, whatever type of loss to know that you will still continue and you'll be okay. That would be my mission in life. So when when people, I, I want to hit on loss a little bit more because sure. I think this is a topic that's really important because we've all lost things in our life and many of us have lost loved ones and many of us are getting to an age where our parents are getting older and I mean, it's it's there's tough times ahead, right? And there is something people always say, which always drove me, drives me nuts. 
So if you say this, please don't be offended, but people often say, well, he or she is in a better place now, right? And there's probably other things that are sort of the trademark things people say, and they say it because they want to comfort someone. What is your take on this? What do you say to somebody? Well, I'm actually going to kind of do that, answer that in a story, is that I, first of all, I think it's a religious belief, and that's not a religious religion that I practice. But one of the big pieces of what I do is grief in the workplace. And I go into workplaces and talk to them about grief and loss. And most workplaces have a combination. Um, they're very, of different types of people, different types of religions, just, just different types of employees. And for somebody to say that he's in, when there's a death of an employee, that he's in a better space, when the person next to him thinks the best place is right here next to you, I got to agree with the person that's saying the best place is right here next to you. I'm not really sure. I mean, we could probably analyze or Google where it came from, and I'm going to say it's going to be a religious, but it's out of context. Mm -hmm. Because if somebody's suffering from an illness and it's been going on too long, a death might be a better place. But to me, next to me, communicating with me, I just don't think you can use those terms with a sudden loss, a homicide, suicide, and even with a suicide that they're in a better place. They're not in a better place, right? So I think it's a cliche. I think it's people, I don't think people are malice or malicious. I think they don't know what to say. So that's their touchstone Mm -hmm. to you. Yeah. So what do you say? We all want to know what's the best thing to have. There is someone. nothing to say, okay? But talking about the loved one and saying some, a story about them or about your relationship together or you were such a beautiful couple, people don't say things like that because they believe it's going to upset you. But, Nicole, you're going to be as upset as you could be upset and nothing I say. But I think the human touch is the best, and we're on a podcast, not a video. But if you just grab someone's arm and just – you don't even have to say words, just – touch their arm. And I know there's some people Mm -hmm. that are listening will say, well, we were told never to touch. I agree. But I always ask if I can hug first, can I give you a hug? Mm -hmm. You know, and I just, I say things like, I can't even fathom what you're going through, but I just need to hug you. Mm -hmm. You know, know. something like, so it's just something soft. Never, never, never compare. Because if you lose your mom and I lose my mom, we might who knows what our emotional bandwidth is? Who knows what the difference between our support systems? Who mm-hmm. knows what happened behind our front doors? Who knows what happened growing up? So just because you lost your mom and I lost mine, we could have two totally different experiences. That's true. People don't get that, though, because they're thinking, okay, I'm a widow, you're a widow, we're the same. No, you're not. Yeah, You have one thing in common. That's what, you know, it's not, but we're not the same. So you've written... An awesome book, Thank Living you. with Loss, One I'm, Day at a Time. So what came about, I always said that I had a book in me, but I am not a memoir girl. I'm sorry to your listeners. I mm-hmm. just think we all have stories and mine's not better than anybody else's. I know we can learn from memoirs, but I'm just not a memoir girl. And I had a book in me and for years coming from the IT in me, I, every time I had a thought or I ran a group or I talked to somebody or I presented and someone asked me a question, I started filling out a spreadsheet of just ideas. And I said, someday I'm going to write a book. Then I had living in Colorado. I had a little ski accident. I ran into a mogul, the mogul one. I tore up my left leg. I had a couple of surgeries. And my husband came home one day because those little drugs that you take told me pharmaceuticals that you take. My husband (laughs) said to me, you're quoting Oprah. 
And that told me that I need to show off the TV, which I didn't even know I had on. So I decided that while I was home for 12 weeks. Wait, is quoting Oprah bad? Um, no, but it was, that means I was watching TV, which is so not me, right? I mean, right, like, right, you yeah. to turn the TV on at three mm-hmm. o'clock in the afternoon is not me. So I said, okay, I'll write a book. So I wanted, it took me like the first couple of days of just figuring out what the format was. And then when I looked at my spreadsheet of ideas, I didn't want to zero in on one or two or three or four. So I decided, what if I came up with daily ideas? And I just started thinking about it. And some days I'm really, really nice to the readers. There's no beginning. There's no end. There's no January, no December. But some days I'm really nice to the readers and I tell them to have a soothing cup of tea and sit on the couch and eat bonbons and read a trashy magazine. And other days I'm harsh on them and tell them they have to have one meal outside the house. So if you think about that, that could be for any kind of loss because we get stuck inside because we want to be, we don't want to talk to someone. But if you go out and have a meal the next day with somebody, you have you have to get up, you have to get dressed, you have to make a plan, maybe take a shower, get in the car, drive there, have the lunch, behave somewhat. But on the way home, you say, oh, that wasn't so bad. I could do it again next week. So that's the whole notion of the book. Very real. Can I read a page? Sure. I don't know what you chose. Okay. Day 209. It's okay for your children to see you cry. This is a big one. I know. Especially for men, probably even more than women. How can it be real if they don't see you cry? Whether your children are little or grown, seeing you cry allows them to express their emotions as well. Younger children might be frightened at first, but talk to them about how you are feeling to provide them a framework for communicating their feelings. Crying can be perceived as a way of articulating emotions that are difficult to put into words. Like everything in life, moderation is the key to finding a balance. Wow. And you picked that. She just, I just want everybody to know she just opened the book. There was no planning on that one. Boom. That was a good one. So every day is just something different. And how I came up with the title, my daughter wanted to call it making it to breakfast. And my when I pitched it to a to a publisher, they said that, well, I like that title. It, it's a Google world that we live in. And the fact that people are going to be Googling it, you'll never get anybody. It'll be up in it being some kitchen book or something. <laughs> That's so <true. laughs> then at Thanksgiving with my family, I said, I really want to call this book Living with Loss, but I wanted to show one every day. So that's how we came up with living with loss one day at a time. And the cover of the book has the sun on it because it, then it just gets that making it to breakfast because the sun's coming out. And you yeah. talked at the beginning about this being a sad podcast. It's not, it's life. Mm-hmm. It's You're life. Right. It's You're not, right. I mean, I looked at it as sad my first couple of years and I think it's sad for my daughter that she doesn't really know her natural dad. And I think it's sad for everybody involved, but life is happy and there's a lot left. And it took me a long time to realize there's a lot left of life left. That's true. And in making it to breakfast, I mean, in those moments of raw pain, you're literally not even going one day at a time. You're going one minute at a time. So to even think that happiness will come someday is tough. Mm-hmm. But what I love too, on that note, going all the way back to exercise, you, you said, if you can get yourself out the door, if you can get your body moving, so we're bringing our bodies back into this process, that there are moments where you remember who you were and it lightens the load a little bit. Yes. And that doesn't mean for every step forward, you don't take two back, but at least you get a step forward and you know what that feels like. Yeah. Because once you get that feeling, mm-hmm. you could say, I really like that feeling. I want to go back there. Yep, it's true. So you're a person who brings people hope. Yes. Does that come with weight for you? 
So it's actually funny is that I have somebody that I work with and she does more of the acute and I do more of the once the body's buried, when it's, you know, more of the hope. Uh, so she does the acute meaning like right, the right immediate, away. The immediate being with the yeah, family, the okay. stuff they'll never remember her. They're right. going to remember you though. <laughs> right. But I said to her, how do you do this? And she says, I drive home at night and I pull in the garage and I say to them, you just sit in the back seat. It's 50 degrees in my garage. You'll be okay. I'll be out first thing tomorrow morning. I, of course, when she told me that, it took me a while to digest it. I just feel that if I can make you think, Nicole, or one person right now, think about something, it's worth going out the door. It's worth doing a podcast or a presentation. And how I deal with it on the, every, on the day is I just look into people's eyes and I listen to the questions they ask and I know that I've made a difference. Mm-hmm. Even it's if true. it's one day at a time, one person at a time. So what advice do you have then? Just kind of name a few things, practical advice for people who are experiencing loss. So the first thing that I would say is we have two choices, either working through it or not. And I think I would encourage everybody to work through it. And the days that you have that, that you take a step back, just finding through it. But it's not just loss of life. It's illness. I mean, we always question how people that are going through years and years and years of chemo, how did they do it? This is how you do it. You got to take one day at a time Mm -hmm. and you got to find that I have a zest and I want to do this. Whether it's financial, getting your back feedback, uh, you know, getting your feet back on the ground. If it's a fire or flood, rebuilding that house, rebuilding life. So my first thing is that you have two choices, either going through it or not. And I would suggest going through it. The other thing is, is one day at a time. What I dwelled on when my husband first died was who was going to walk my daughter down the aisle. She was two. And for two years, I said that to everybody and everybody kept saying to me, Rachel, she's now four. You'll be okay. But I couldn't hear it. I couldn't see (laughs) it. uh So live today and today only. And if you need to go one or two days in advance, go for it, but don't try to do it all at once. Be true to yourself. Be realistic. And know that it's a life journey. It's not anything that's going to be over on the anniversary of the loss. Well, and there's a lot of parallels even to racing and training. Think about a marathon. You cannot think about mile 26 when you're at mile one. You will not get there. You have to be in the moment one mile at a time, right? Uh, There's times that I go crack to crack in the road. Like where you eight station to eight stations. There are some times when you have nothing left and Mm -hmm. you just have to find the smallest subset and that's in any drop of life. Yep. It's just fine. That's just, just get it to dinner tonight. Yeah. Go to bed and wake up in the morning. Whatever it is, just to get there and keep going and being positive. Um, what stories do you have of people who you've touched where they've been able to get through the weeds? So it's interesting because running, that's a good question. Running a widow's group, I love seeing, and it has nothing to do with being widowed and getting married, but I just love to see the trust that is rebuilt amongst people. Um, you know, meeting actually in the group, we used to tease about how many relationships were built. And it's not, like I said, about the relationship. It's more so that somebody finds that there's enough, enough that they could see in front of them. So I love telling stories like that. I also love um, the laughter that is around grief and loss. And it, even though it sounds strange to do that, uh, I was doing a presentation. It was on a sudden loss. There were 90 people in the room and I, we're a camp widow. It's a little plug for camp widow. We were at Camp Widow and this woman walked in and I, and she was just really crying. And I, I said to everybody in the room, we have a great board of directors. We have great speakers for this weekend. We have great resources. If you, I promise you that whatever you 
need this weekend or afterwards, somebody will find a resource for you. So this woman in the back, totally a mess, raises her hand and she said, you said you could do anything for me. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting a little nervous here. There's 90, <laughs> 90 people in the room. And she said to me, Rachel, you said you could do anything. Answer this question. I said, okay. She said, what were my husband's passwords? Because it was a sudden loss. But, mm-hmm. Okay. The room laughed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it turned into. That is so true. <laughs> what else can you do? Because you can fight with all these agencies to get onto your bank accounts, to get onto Facebook, to get onto your get into your iPhone, but what else could you do? You could cry about it or you could just joke it out. And so that was just, it's just some of the things that I experienced that just says, okay, the sun comes up tomorrow. And the password thing is real. Make sure your spouse shares it with you. (laughs) Or have it somewhere or have you on the beneficiary or something because Mm -hmm. they will not give it to you. And then it takes forever to get, I'm a little bit different now because we have this internet, but it takes forever to get death certificates and approvals Mm -hmm. and it's very emotional and painful. So who are, who's uh, one of your biggest role models? You didn't give that to me a heads up at the beginning to, no. to figure out who that is. No, that I like I to have surprise to be, people. I have to be Oprah now, right? Right, totally. I, I totally She's Oprah. She's amazing. So, I, you know, I'd really have to think about that because I don't have anybody in particular that I would do it. I, I mean, I you know, you want to say that you behave the way you do because I had this little two-year-old and it was something that I had to follow mm-hmm. through on. You might say that I try to live my life and support a two people, but I don't think that would be a role model. I think that that it's funny that it re- the reason why I wrote the book was indirectly Oprah, and I don't think I would have said this coming in had you given me time to think about it, is that maybe she just looked at life differently and she gave me the enthusiasm to say, just go out there. I don't know. I'd have to really think about who my role, real role model Honestly, is. Do you have an answer to that? Um, I'd have to think about it too. <laughs> right. Because I think there's different facets that mm-hmm. people create yeah. in my soul or my heart, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's one particular person. But you know, that answer, that Oprah answer, everybody listening can relate to that. Not because they know her or, but that voice was in your life during a very important time, giving you strength. Right. That's powerful. Right. That's valid. Right. Or giving me the next thing, whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. No, that is a good question. That's really But true. you couldn't come up with one either right now. <laughs> because it's not like it's truly an athlete because, you know, you come and go with that. You know, it's mm-hmm. not somebody maybe a, a political figure, but that because that's only one piece of your life or yeah. a teacher or I think everybody gave you a subset that you took mm-hmm. inside and you did something with it. It's true. Well, okay. One other then toughie that I didn't prep you oh, on. You did. She didn't prep me at all. No, we, not at I, all. Zero. Not at I didn't give you yeah. any questions. Um, what are you most afraid of? You know, at first I thought I was afraid of lo- like something would happen to me and that my daughter would not be okay. And I think for years, I, that's where I was, is that what happens? And I know that I work with young widows or widowers and they say the same thing is that what will happen to my children. So for years and years and years, I was think that I was really um, a little bit more cautious of what I did. My husband would tell you that with skiing right now that I've kind of picked it back up again because not that I'm reckless, but it's just that for a while, I think I was afraid that I would ruin, so to speak, my daughter's life if something happened to me. So I was really, I think that's what I feared. Now I probably, 
You know, I probably fear what most Americans are feeling, not to be political, but more of safety and future and anger and sadness that, because I have a big heart and I feel like that heart is being beat up by things that we could mm-hmm. control, but we're too selfish to control. You know what I mean? We're too, it, just that everybody has an opinion and they deserve it. You know, it's, yeah. and it's just, we can't satisfy everybody. Anyway, that's probably what I'm most afraid of is, is just, just the ease of, of life could be, and it's not. Cause I think what's important yeah. is living through loss, mm-hmm. emotionally living through loss. And mm-hmm. I don't feel that we just, we just don't put any money, time and energy into that. And it's, it's clearly in mental health and everything else. It's just that we don't handle loss and changes and, yeah, I think and you, like you said, you need to go through it, not around it. Right. Right? Right. It's funny. Um, I actually also have that fear about like something happening to my kid. And I only have one kid. And it crosses yeah. my mind like, maybe we should have another kid in case something happens to the one kid. And you, it's, it's not rational. None of that's rational. But um, it's hard not to think that way. So there's always going to be fear around the people we love most. Correct. Correct. And uh, and then fear of the unknown, which is what you expanded on, right? You know, after that, so we have actually come upon our five k. Oh my gosh! And see, we're talking so much. Can we you didn't believe even that? Know. No, it's I, amazing. Maybe we need to run together. It goes by fast. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> it does go by fast. Um, I like to ask every person who comes on my show to share at the end one piece of advice, one nugget that you would give our listeners so that they could go run their worlds in a bigger and better way than before. Okay. So I have to tell you for future podcast people, she does not give these questions in advance, (laughs) but it's somewhat easy for me because it's just something that I think about all the time. I do not have control over what people say and do, but I do have control of how I react to it no matter what it is. And I could say that again, is that I do not have control over what people say and do, but I do have control of how I react to it. So whether it's media, whether it's a friend, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a sister, brother, a parent, whoever, they can save the right to say whatever they want. I don't have control over whether it's nasty or good, but I do have control of how I could react to it. And so I always say manage by facts, just manage by facts. I think that's great advice. So how did I do? Did I pass that one? You did great. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Well, so here's the thing. You're going to go on to NicoleDeBoom.com under the show notes. We're going to look at Rachel's interview. I'm going to put a link to her book, Living with Loss, One Day at a Time. There's some really, really good stuff in here. And Rachel... Thank you for coming on the so show. So fun. So fun. I have to do it again. So cool. I know. Yeah, we're we'll definitely going to do, do a follow-up. Yeah. I love it. Yep. All right. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Okay. Hey, guys. What a really, really cool episode about a very tough and sometimes depressing topic, which happens to all of us. And so we need to reframe the way that we approach and experience loss and grief you know, it is what it is. Things hurt and things happen to us and you really have the option to go through it or not. And we got to go through it. There's really, there really isn't an option. At some point you need to move through it. So I love Rachel's approach of taking it one day at a time, which is really, truly often the only way you can handle difficult things. You can't be looking at the finish line of a 26.2 
um, when you're on mile one, one mile at a time, one day at a time, however you approach it. And what I also love about this episode is that even if you're not going through grief or loss, other people around you might be. And I know personally, one of my frustrations is not knowing how to help them best. And so it really helps to hear from an expert that, you know, there are some things that you can do to help people. And, and sometimes they don't even realize you're helping them, but just being there for them is so important. Um, okay, everyone, let's move it on here. Let's take a deep breath and appreciate the lives we live. And even if it's hard and painful out there on your 5k run, you keep yourself going one step at a time because you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout. I'll see you next week.